welcome back to What's a Story with Jillian and Shauna. Today we're going to talk about episode 11, The Impossible Dream. It is about Wishbone, obviously, and also Don Quixote by Miguel Cervantes, which I can't roll my tongue or make any sort of Spanish noises. So I won't be. Me neither. I spent too much time taking French. I will be speaking in a very American accent today. Yeah, (laughs) apologies in advance for our terrible (laughs) American accents. It happens. It is what it is. Did you have any sort of relationship with this book, Jillian? Um, I haven't read it, but I definitely remember this episode. And um, I think that like, after seeing this, maybe like all American children, I now only ever think of Don Quixote when I see windmills. Like if you're on a, a road trip through the Midwest, there are those like big, white, like huge windmills. And I always think of Don Quixote when I see those. And I think it's based solely on this Witchbone episode. Yeah, my memory of this story is definitely attached to Wishbone. Like I picture the windmills from Wishbone. I only know of like the idea, the kind of pop culture idea of someone who like is chasing windmills or fighting windmills. Like that's my knowledge from Wishbone. Um, So I'd be curious to know like what other people, how other people know Don Quixote, like what's their first encounter. Well, the other thing I thought of is Man of La Mancha, which is a musical. And I saw um, I saw a version of that. Actually, there's this theater in Minneapolis called, I believe it's called 10,000 Things. Um, I think it's called 10,000 Things. And they do theater in like unusual spaces. So they'll go into like prisons or um, senior centers or like nursing homes. And they do everything that, with the lights on. And when I lived in Minneapolis, I had a coworker who performed with them. And so I went and saw him do Man of La Mancha at, like, at a nursing home. And it was super cool because they had this, like, atrium and they did the play in the round, like, with the lights on, um, on the ground floor. And then there were all of these um, people who lived there, like, the residents who had, like, balconies that kind of overlooked it and were watching from above. And it was super cool. So... That's my other experience with it. I don't I don't really remember the plot of Man of La Mancha that much beyond what Wishbone told us about Don Quixote, but I did see it done that way. That's so cool. I, I'm just picturing that and that just sounds so awesome. <laughs> it was it was so cool and it's a, the concept is a really cool concept. I don't know. Um, I know that the like founder of the theater wrote a book called All With the Lights On or All the Lights On or something like that. Um, and I just think it's a really cool, it's a really cool concept to take theater to people who don't normally get to experience it. Um, I did, that was the only production of theirs I saw, but I loved it. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm very passionate about like exposing people to the arts who maybe don't have access or don't recognize mm-hmm. that this is something they could access. And I think that's super cool. <clears throat> I think it's something everyone's allowed to have an opinion on, but not everyone has access to. So I, I would love to make ways for people to have an opinion on it. For sure. So, you know, I had to do a little research on it because like you said, I knew very little about it. Um, so what I did find out, which Wishman talks about a little bit, is that it's published in two parts uh, in 1605. And then 10 years later, 1615, he published the second part, Cervantes. And for me, when I heard that, that was really hitting home, like how old these stories are that we're talking about in Wishbone. And when I saw those years, I realized Shakespeare was a contemporary of Cervantes. And I, when I looked up like kind of, hey, what sort of stuff has been influenced by this? the wikipedia page for like list of works influenced by don quixote is so 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 long oh cool has tons of different types of work like not just theater like music opera ballet novels like paintings things like that and a lost shakespeare play called cardenio that's supposed to be um yeah it's supposed to be part part one of don quixote it's supposed to be um kind of what it's retelling which i thought was really interesting and it's considered like a founding work of Western literature. And some people even consider it the best literary work ever written, which was pretty interesting to me. And it's also um, widely seen as the first modern novel. 
So all of these kind of pieces were just so interesting to me that like Wishbone is introducing us to a, this foundational piece of work in let's call it the Western lit canon, which I don't personally believe in, but that's, that's what it's, you know, leading off. It's like a foundational yeah. part of it. And, and just some of the, um, some of the things that have been on Wishbone that were in, influenced by Quixote were uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, so Mark Twain, um, Cyrano de Bergerac, <laughs> Three Musketeers. So I was like, okay, like, very interesting that this has pieces and all these other things we know. Yeah, that's super interesting. I didn't, um, I watched this episode right before we recorded, so I didn't have time to look up too much about it. But um, I was thinking, actually, when I was looking at Wishbone's costume, I was like, kind of looks like his Romeo costume. <laughs> and, then I, and then I got down a whole rabbit hole thinking about like, wonder if they reused his costumes. I should really look into that. <laughs> so makes sense that they came out around the same time and that they shared influence with each other. Yeah, I thought that was neat. And it, it's also interesting because, you know, this was 400 years ago, not that long ago, but also we kind of aren't necessarily socialized with this idea that there's that much transfer of knowledge happening, like especially in Europe or between Europe and other parts of the world, which there was like, at least on Twitter in the last week, there's been kind of in the book Twitter world or lip Twitter world, there's been a lot of conversation around what historical fiction is. Um, and one author really made a good point and said like historical fiction as we modern readers read it is really historical fantasy because it's applying like what modern readers would accept as true in historical fiction. And there's a spec fiction writer like Joe Walton who has um, kind of this whole theory or test called the Tiffany test where Tiffany actually was like a super common name. It's um, based on like epiphany and like people who were born on epiphany were often named Tiffany like hundreds of years ago. But to us, that's like a super 80s name, right? Or like a super yeah. 70s or 80s name. And I, to me, if I read like, you know, Tiffany in like a book that took place in like 1600 or 1800, I'd be like, what's happening? Um, so to me, it was just interesting to like see how much stuff was influenced by Quixote so quickly, like within the hundred years after it was published. Yeah. Well, it seems so hard for cultures to swap back and forth then, right? Like the the idea that Shakespeare would be sharing something, like would be reading Cervantes is just like so mind-boggling because knowledge is transferred so quickly in the modern era that like, I don't know, to me it just seems like an insurmountable task to get a book from Spain to England without like modern technology. It just doesn't seem like it would travel as fast. Um, so that's such that... a good point. Yeah, because to me, once I started thinking about it, I guess if there was like trade happening, there's like two things, right? Like if trade is happening between two countries, then like not only are like goods moving between two countries, but like people are moving towards sure two countries. And like England and Spain are so com close. And even though you know there were enemies or whatever, maybe in like political ways, like they definitely were trading and there definitely were like books moving from one to the other and people who could speak both languages. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about this, but then like when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, yeah, like you're right. It does seem insurmountable because they don't have the internet or planes or whatever, but like people were still going from one place to the other. And I'm like, oh yeah, like they never really made that obvious when we were growing yeah. up and studying history. Yeah, for sure. I think it, I, once you stop and think about it, it makes a ton of sense, but I think yeah. in the modern era, we just think about like how hard it must've been and how yeah. isolated everyone must've felt compared to how we are now. They had to know each other to make enemies of each other, right? Like obviously they had to have like interacted at some point. It's true. And they were like aware of other parts of the world, like people had access to maps and education mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so very interesting. Now, after this digression on history and historical trade and cultural interaction between different peoples in history, uh, let's jump into the Wishbone episode, which is, um, it actually, the story moves really quickly. It really only has like two scenes, um, but I thought it, or three scenes really, but I thought it was a fun, quick episode and a good kind of foil. So 
we open up on Joe playing indoor basketball, which, oh my gosh, every boy I knew. <laughs> and, and David is doing math homework and David is like trying to like check his homework against Joe. And Joe is 100% not doing the homework. He's playing indoor basketball. He gets distracted by the book of impossible records. And David is so sarcastic in this scene. And I loved it. <laughs> I also didn't understand why, like, David act like, the first time that Joe just spouted out a random number and it was the wrong answer to the math test, or math questions, fine. But the second time, why was he like, wait, where did you put that number? Like, David, he's not listening to you. I love it, because David is like, okay, we're in the same room. Oh, we, we made the commitment to do this homework. <laughs> you, surely you did too, but no. Joe's in his own world. <laughs> And I did like kind of the introduction of this book of impossible records because this was an era where the Guinness Book of World Records like took over society. I know, <laughs> I wrote that down too. I was like, what a 90s plot line. Didn't every child love world records as a kid? Because I really did, I loved it. Yes, like I, you went to the Scholastic Book Fair, you bought the latest Guinness Book of World Records, you talked right. about it. Like, I'm sure we were all part of trying to break some world record. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was absolutely into them. I always wanted to know, like, who was the woman with the most children? How tall was the tallest man? Like, what? why I cared I don't know but I was very curious everybody like was super into it like entire towns were like trying to make the world's largest pizza or like things yep. like that yeah I, yeah the world was like enamored by the Guinness Book of World this may explain my obsession with roadside attractions actually now that we're talking about this because I love to stop for the world's largest candle the world's biggest whatever and it might be because of the world rec the book of world records as a kid. Oh wow. So you like I'm extremes like because of childhood. Well, I really I really just love the the concept of America advertising for something for like a hundred miles and then you pull over and it's like not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually why I like roadside attractions. But um yeah. Also, it's just funny to be like, I saw the world's largest candle. And it's like not even a real candle. It's like a statue of a candle. And I don't know why that qualifies it, but it usually does. You make a good point because our roadside attractions like a distinctly American thing. I've driven through like other countries in Europe and Asia and I haven't necessarily thought about like, to me, like seeing the Barilla factory and like while driving through Italy was cool. <laughs> like, that's not a roadside attraction. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I think the concept of the world's largest blah, blah, blah is like, that seems like a very American idea, right? Like, of course, we're going to claim to have the world's largest everything because we're Americans. It probably, if we did some research on it, it probably dates back to like the World's Fair or something like that. Like I'm sure there's some connection to it or like, I don't know, but I, yeah, I think it's a uniquely American concept. That's a good point. And I, even like the little knowledge I have of the World's Fair, I don't even know what they really, sh I, in my head, they were like showing off aspects of culture, or like new technology, right? Like La Tour Eiffel. Um, but, oh man, what a fun thing to research after this episode. <laughs> I, I should definitely do some more research. Going back to Wishbone. <laughs> so Joe's head is like really in the clouds. He wants, he wants to do something amazing, extraordinary that nobody else can do. So he decides he's gonna get the free throw record for kids, OMG. That's a yeah. lot of free throws, 85 in five minutes. That's very fast. That's very fast. That's like one every couple seconds, which makes sense. Like, I mean, it just means you're, maybe that person had the, whatever. I'm not going to go into the logistics of it, but yes. That's fast. It's fast. So Ellen comes through and she's like, hey, how's your studying going? And Joe's like, we're taking a break. <laughs> And Ellen pleads with him to like, just forget about the world records. Just study for your test. Just do your best and study. Joe isn't even trying. Like I really related to Joe in this moment. I relate to Joe just about every day. That kid, I don't know. He's a wreck, but I think I am too most days. <laughs> it's true. Hashtag extremely relatable content. <laughs> <laughs> 
So David is like, you know what, Joe, like if you get this record, you get 86 free throws. I bet Damon Jones would be super jealous. And Ellen is like, um, excuse me, are you being bullied? And I really like that Joe is like, no. But he also clarifies that like, you know, Damon, he's always gonna try to one up me. Like he, he isn't happy, like not being the talk of the town or whatever. And Ellen's like, just so you know, you're like not in competition with Damon. Like you're just- I would argue too though that Joe is being bullied by Damon. That kid is a punk and he probably should have told his mom. I agree. But like later on, Ellen witnesses it. Well, no, that's true. Ellen Wanda. bullying. Wanda. Wanda witnesses it and she doesn't do jack shit. But Wanda isn't a parent. That'd be like if I witnessed bullying of my like closest friend's child, I would for sure go talk to my friend. If it was just yeah. like a child whose parents I didn't really know, I wouldn't know how, you can't just go up to someone's parents and say, your kid's being bullied. But this is your next door neighbor. Like you see this woman every day, you know her. Well, children. you could say, you don't have to say to the Demont's parents, but you could step in and say to Demont, like stop being an asshole. Yeah. Be a mature, be mature. You're mature. Be mature. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, that Jamon Jones is a punk and um, eagle-eyed viewers might recognize him as the artful dodger in, in the Oliver Twist episode. Another episode where he played a punk. <laughs> yeah, that's actually 100% true. <laughs> that's how he was stereotyped. <laughs> So Wanda decides she's going to interview Joe because he's going to do this record-setting event. And she shows up when Joe is practicing free throws with his friends, with Sam and David and this other um, young girl, Robin. And Wanda interrupts in the middle of playing basketball. <laughs> she has this giant tape recorder with a shoulder strap. And she's just like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Are you ready? Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, the enormity of what he is trying to do hits Joe and his insecurities all come to the surface. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious that she like rushes in like it's time sensitive and like has to interrupt him while he's practicing. But also I really liked that Robin girl. She was new and she was very good. She was she was like a good coach. She was encouraging, but also tough. I liked her style. Yeah, I liked her style. Um, I actually don't remember if they said her name during the episode. I looked her up in the credits to make sure she had a named character because she, this young girl looks black and a lot of times like people of color actors don't even have named characters even if they have a line so I was really excited that she did such a great job better actor than our leads frankly sure by a long shot <laughs> yeah much better than our, our 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 three uh partners in crime although Sam, Sam is a pretty good actress she's okay David yeah. and Joe, they could they leave a lot to be desired. Yes. David is just be the Robin and Joe. Sam show, and I will be fine with that. Yeah. But like based on Sam's outfit, um, Sam's basically Alex Mack. So there is a <laughs> Sam show. <laughs> That's true. And she has a secret world. <laughs> So what some of the advice that Robin gives Joe is like just picture yourself succeeding like David agrees they're like visualize success and frankly the music and the camera work is just amazing <laughs> during all their practice it's so 90s it's so 90s it was just <laughs> delightful and synthy and angles and I was delighted <laughs> So then they're practicing and Joe gets 80 free throws and he's like, okay, he's close. Cause like even 80 is a freaking lot of free throws. That is so fast. I'm not so over fast. it. Yeah, it's a lot. And DeMont shows up and he shoots a three from the corner just cause he can. And he's like, nothing but net. Like you said, being a punk. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go for the record tomorrow too. And he's like, you know what, like, Joe, you're at your best when you're competing with me. Like, this is really, like, gonna help you be better. And I just like that he shoots a free throw right in front of Joe, and then he walks out, dribbles between his legs casually, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm a better basketball player than everybody else here. He was a very good basketball player. I was impressed with his ball handling skills. 
His ball handling was very good. I went on a long wiki how and YouTube black hole of learning how to dribble with your between your legs after this scene. It was very interesting. Do you have a basketball to practice with? No, I was just reading about it. <laughs> Because I was like, I was amazed that he did it while walking. I didn't know it was, because he made it look so easy and he was just walking. You know, I was like, wow, I thought you had to like be bent over and like things like this. But no, he just was really good at basketball. <laughs> he was. It was also impressive considering how baggy his shorts were that the ball made it under his shorts. They're, oh, oh, he was wearing lead pipes. They were jeans, I'm pretty sure. Oh, were they? Yeah, he was wearing like full pants <laughs> and a flannel shirt. <laughs> well, even more impressive then. Yeah, I was very impressed. <laughs> so then after this, we jump back to Joe's house and we have like a sneak peek reminder that like Joe's dad was a basketball coach, which we learned earlier. And we're all pretty sure that Ellen played in the WNBA, but there's no confirmation of that. <laughs> and that's just canon. I think that that's, we can just decide that. Great, I'm into it. Well, I'll find the Wishbone Wiki and I'll upload, update that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So Joe's friends like all reassure him of his support. Like he's there with Sam and David and Robin and they're like, we're there for you. Like we believe in you. And I really like that. Like Joe needed to hear that. Yeah, it's kind of like the last episode where they were just, you know, Sam encouraging Sam to just do her best. This is a similar vibe. Yeah, I agree. And it's true. Like they're both of these kids were trying to do something really hard and maybe they were going to succeed. Maybe they weren't, they weren't like, you know, giving anyone false hope, but there's a difference between false hope and like emphatic support. And I thought they did a good job. Yeah. Agreed. Something good for kids to model in their real lives, hopefully. So now it's the big day. They're going to do the free throw contest. So Jamont and Joe are going to try to get, at least 86 free throws in five minutes. And um, the two witnesses are Coach Menendez and Mr. Kim. And I was like, good on you, Wishbone, for being diverse. Like Sesame Street started it. You guys are just following through. Absolutely. I did think that um, they should have explained perhaps who Mr. Kim was. Was he like somebody from Guinness? Um, because uh, from my understanding as a child, you had to have a witness from the Guinness Book of World Records witness your free throw or your, your record. Or was he just a nice gentleman in a suit that didn't explain his um, origin story at all? Oh, I assumed he was a teacher because I, I figured oh. like he was at school and that's why he called him Mr. Kim and like he said it as if he knew each other because this was, I guess I thought this was Joe's basketball coach from school. Oh, I assumed that Coach Menendez was his basketball coach. Yeah. But I didn't know who Mr. Kim was. I guess it would make sense that he's a teacher at the school. Yeah. Very fancy teacher who's wearing a suit. Maybe he's a principal. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I But how are they going to submit this record and know that it really happened? Were they videotaping it? They weren't videotaping it, but I think that's why they had to have a witness. Like, maybe he was a notary public. I hope so. It's all coming together now. <laughs> it's all coming together. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that you had to have a Guinness person there. That could be, I trust you, um, having done the research, you know, 20, 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. In the book, probably, where I was like, if you're going to try to do this at home, kids, make sure you have somebody from our company come to see you so that they're not getting all these, like, false records submitted. <laughs> Which they probably did, too. I don't know. Some intern somewhere had to, like, go through all of them all year round. Who knows? Can we pause again? Yep. Sorry. Feeney's returned to her place here. Welcome back, Feeney. We're so glad to have you with us. Yes. So, it's go time. DeMont goes first. He's got two friends helping him with ball return, and DeMont gets 80. So he's, he and his friends just leave. They just walk away. <laughs> I know. They're like, well, I guess we didn't win. They just left. That was strange. But I thought it was good because then Joe wasn't as intimidated. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Joe, like, tries his best. Like, Sam and Robin are his ball return people. And Joe got 81. So he beat Dame or DeMont, 
but he didn't leave the record. I know. I felt like they might have. I thought they were gonna place a bigger emphasis on that. Like, you still beat Demont. That was still good. You know, like kind of like in the last episode where they're like, we still won even though it didn't count. I guess it kind of goes with like Ellen. So Ellen, after this, Joe's like, I wanted to do something extraordinary, and Ellen's like, you don't have to perform all these like huge feats to be extraordinary. Just live your life, like. This is a direct quote. I really liked it. Live your life. Like life is an ongoing adventure. And when something doesn't go exactly as you hope, you have to be brave enough to go on to the next thing. It was a very good quote. It was a great quote. And I think it goes along with Ellen's point earlier where she was like, hey, you know, you're not in competition with Demond, right? Like you are, you know, trying to be your best self. And I, I actually was okay with them not saying like, oh, like you did better than Dumont. Yeah, because I think if they had, then Ellen probably would have stepped in and been like, yeah. you guys both tried your best. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's much more sensible than that. Yeah. And at the, the last thing that happens is Joe apologizes to Wanda for not having a story, but Wanda's like, no, I disagree. Like you went after your dream. Like you tried your hardest. You tried this thing you'd never done before that nobody else in our town had thought of trying. Um, and I thought that was good too. Like just you keep trying stuff. Yeah. I thought that they, they uh, like always, there was a lot of good adult mentorship in this episode. And the adults really come through for the kids when, you know, when it matters. Yeah, when things don't, like, when reality doesn't match, you know, the expectations they have in their head. And it's not like the adults are saying don't, you know, have high expectations, don't have high standards. It's like, try your hardest and mm -hmm. have a community that believes in you. <laughs> and that was kind of the end of the Joe part. Like I said, there's really only two or three scenes. It's pretty tight. Um, but I like it. And the parallel to Don Quixote really is just that Joe has a single-minded desire and thinks that like if he completes his feet, like he is gonna live on the live on these laurels forever. Yeah. But he's a child, and like that's simply not true. <laughs> yeah, so I liked it. Pretty a pretty tightly woven story. And let's jump into the book. Awesome. So we meet Don Quixote, who is played by a human actor um, who does a great job in his home. He's reading and apparently he reads all the time. All he does is read stories about medieval knights and their adventures and rescuing people and fighting dragons and things like this. And his housekeeper and his niece come in and they're like, put your book down, eat something, welcome to reality. And instead, he grabs a giant fork and he says, yes, I'm going to put down my book and I'm going to pick up a sword. <laughs> and that was real aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I think Don Quixote is kind of an aggressive guy. He's always like challenging people to battle. He really he's is. He he's a little intense. A title. Yeah, he's all, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he gives himself a title. He's like, I'm going to seek fame and honor for my noble deeds. And I'm like, okay, so you are going to do quests of your own design and give yourself honors of your own design. <laughs> okay. Typical white guy. He's just out there. <laughs> yeah. And I thought the actor did a really good job of like portraying that kind of over-enthusiasm I yep. kind of stereotype and attribute to Don Quixote. Um, like the single-mindedness, I thought he did a really good job portraying that. Mm -hmm. So then his maid and, or I'm sorry, his housekeeper and niece remind him the stories in these books aren't true. Like there's no more knights. It's 1600. Um, so he roots out some armor and then he starts like, doing some Star Wars kids moves, if you remember that <laughs> meme, like from like E-bombs world. <laughs> like, like that is what he starts doing, just like fighting no, nothing in the air with it, all his gear and his sword. And I was like, oh goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked, like, I liked the way that they portrayed him without making him seem like he was like, crazy like I I yeah. thought of um I thought of like in Beauty and the Beast where they talk about how 
uh, Belle's dad, they just like call him a crazy old man. Like I thought that Don Quixote could have really been portrayed that way and like really just like not respected. And I think they respected him, but they were also just like concerned that he was going to get hurt like more than anything else it seemed like like he's just out there doing what he's doing and he's not like being safe or thoughtful but no one acted like he was like absolutely out of his mind yeah and while you were talking i just thought of back to the future like doc brown and oh yeah back to the future that wasn't explicitly listed on the you know list of works influenced by don quixote that i happened to look at but Absolutely, like Marty. They also have similar hair. Yeah, like similar character. Like single-minded has all these ideas. Like is like trying to solve problems that only he can think of, with only solutions he can think of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Good work, Shauna. Good work, Jillian. I'm glad that my rambling could bring you to something a little bit more concrete. Yes. (laughs) So. Then we meet um, the Marty McFly of the crew, Sancho Panza, who comes in to see Don Quixote. And Quixote (laughs) offers him a job. And Wishbone is Sancho, and he does a great job as Sancho. I was really entertained. He was very modern, as the Wishbone characters kind of tend to be in his language and um, the way that he spoke. And um, Sancho simply accepts this job, and then he's like, wait, what's a squire? (laughs) (laughs) And then he also asks for, like, modern details, like, is it full part-time? Are there benefits? Are there raises? Are there promotions? (laughs) Is there professional development? <laughs> like, I like that because kids have heard their parents talking about this stuff. Like they know about this. So, yeah. <laughs> so I like that. Um, and Quixote is like, well, I'm going to win a kingdom. And you know what happens when you win a kingdom? Your squire like becomes the Lord or guards it. And Sancho's like, great, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to win a kingdom. Let's do this. So that was a lot. <laughs> I loved it. I also, like, I knew about Squires from the, the uh, Sword in the Stone, which was a favorite movie in my house growing up. Um, but I like also that, like, if you didn't know that movie, or, like, if you didn't know that word, like, it's a good, it's a good word for kids to learn. It's not a word that we use in modern English very often. So it was kind of cool to, like, give kids that, like, I don't know, like, a little bit of history or understanding about that, too. Yeah, I wasn't really into like night things or fantasies that had nights and things like that. And I frankly, um, just during quarantine, I read a series of Tamara Pierce books about um, the first lady knight in Tortal. (laughs) And I learned about knights and squires and things like this in this like middle grade young adult series that was published. I used to read those books in middle school. Yeah. So like, because, you know, I wasn't really into that stuff as a kid, like her Alana series is like, people love it like the world over. It's like a foundational um, feminist fantasy book that a lot of people like. And I simply just didn't read those until now. Um, I would argue also if you had had a brother in the 90s, you probably would have been more into (laughs) knights and stuff. I feel like you are so right. Arthur's Court and I don't know, like those stories were very popular for boys when we were growing up. Yeah, and you're right. My brother is also named after King Arthur. So that's like a common story that we talk like, I don't know. Oh, that's a fun story. (laughs) True. (laughs) That's a it's a common story in our household, and so we we watched all of the versions of uh, King Arthur growing up. Ah, yeah, you're right. If I had, like, because my, like, boy cousins were older than me, so if they had that phase, that would have happened, you know, before I was born. Um, by the time I was born, they were into The Simpsons, because that, like, you know, I was, I was a infant when that show started so (laughs) that was the common story in my life (laughs) so Sancho and Quixote um go out on this quest and Quixote's like everything I do is in service to the lady Dulcinea El Toboso she lives in this castle far away and she's pure and her maidenhood is intact and all these things (laughs) okay he doesn't say that but he means it that would be intense for a wishbone episode that's a lot to unpack for children (laughs) it's probably in the book let's be real probably (laughs) 
And Quixote is like, just so you know, Sancho, like, I don't want any help fighting these dragons when we come up across them. And Sancho's like, great, like, I'll just hang out, watch our stuff, like, you do the fighting, NBD. <laughs> so, Talking about, you know, like, Sancho, hold my beard. And he, like, goes and literally, and he's like, great, I will, go off. <laughs> Fight your battles. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's basically it. Sancho is the hold my beer. Of the original hold my beer meme. Yes. Okay. Now, wow, even memes are influenced. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so we really kind of, as we get to know Quixote, we really understand that he sees things that nobody else can see. And is it that he is projecting or does he genuinely think these things we don't really get to know um but they come across these windmills and Quixote's like great these are giants i need to battle and sancho pushes back and he's like no like those are windmills like those are not a giant's waving arm but quixote he just goes for it he tries to joust the windmill <laughs> and the blade knocks him over it's <laughs> a whole in his metal helmet that was alarming to me i was either that or the fall or something crazy and his helmet is damaged and he's like you know what like something cursed the giant and turned it into a windmill omg <laughs> and then plausible totally plausible yeah everything he says is very plausible you really have to suspend disbelief <laughs> when it comes to EOJ. And he's like, you know what? My helmet is damaged. I'm going to recapture this golden helmet of lore. So Sancho's like, okay, like, let's just, let's just do this. Let's go. And they have a little informal campground in a little foresty area. And a man comes by them. And Don Quixote is like, he's wearing that golden helmet, like WTF. And Quixote goes on the attack and demands a helmet. And this poor man, he's like, I'm a barber. Like, this is my barber's basin. And just, it's just on my head. So I don't have to carry it. Like, it's broken and cracked. Like, this is not great. And Quixote, like, really pushes him. And he's, like, you know, ready for a fight. And Sancho's like, bro, like, give it to him. <laughs> so he does. He just gives it to him. And he walks away, like, basically to save his life. Um, but also when we talk about when that man takes his helmet off, he has the most ridiculous haircut of anyone I've ever seen. It was like flat ironed Beatles shaggy mop situation. I don't know. The whole thing was very weird. And it had like a little rim from where his helmet had been sitting on his head. It was yeah. very funny. It was an interesting wig that they put on this poor black man. I, I know. <laughs> this guy, this poor guy is like his moment in the sun he's on wishbone and then he has to wear the most absurd wig of, of all time it was funny but he i mean that was his choice right let this i don't know if the character is black in the book but if we're if we're talking about like white supremacy we might as well like this white man is like give me your hat or i will kill you and he's like <laughs> this is my livelihood like, truthfully it was <laughs> There's a lot of symbolism in that whole exchange. <laughs> yeah, for real. So it was a lot. And Quixote is like, haha, now I have this golden helmet and all is well in the world. So they move on. They're like in a little pub and Quixote tries to start telling all these stories to their adventure. He's making a little bit of a name for himself. And Sancho corrects him like every single time. He's like, we found these giants. And Sancho's like, it was a windmill. And we fought this man. He's like, it was a barber. <laughs> He's just like the voice of reason, like on the side, like, oh gosh, is this really happening? Um, what I really like throughout is there's this beautiful Spanish classical guitar in the background. And I love Spanish classical guitar. I was introduced to it on this like random segment on NPR, like five or six years when I was living in DC and like driving and I got super into it and I like was so excited to take lessons um, here in grad school at Carnegie Mellon there's like a classical guitar program for non-majors and I had to drop it at the last second I was so sad so that's my story about Spanish classical guitar it was really beautiful I didn't know that about you that's very interesting it's true and I recently learned because of quarantine like all these friends of mine who had guitars have come out of the woodwork and have like practicing guitar. 
And I was like, oh, I always wanted to play guitar. And one of them explained to me that like the frets on the guitar are just where like, I grew up playing violin and viola, where you would put your finger, like if you were playing a string instrument. So you, so this friend of mine was like, well, because you know that already, you already know like this far as this and how the things like what the frets mean. And I had no idea. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know they were half and whole steps. Like I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So while the Spanish classical guitar is playing, uh, Quixote kisses the hand of this maid, basically, in this in this pub. And he also kisses the rag she's claiming with. It was super weird. That, that whole thing, I, I don't know what happened there. It was so weird. So like, he's infatuated. We don't know what's going on. Meanwhile, back at home, his housekeeper and his niece call in Carrasco and they're like, Quixote is making a fool of himself. Like, we need him to come home. Like, we think, because you're smart, you're university educated, like, we think you can think of a plan. Like, this man does not listen to reason. So Carrasco says, you know what, I'll have to play a trick on him to um, get him to come home. And when this happened, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, what else can you do? Like, yeah, he operates on his own set of rules. So you have to meet him where he is at and like follow those rules in order to beat him at his own game. That made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, the Carrasco guy was like kind of sinister, but I think you're right. Like that was really the only option. <laughs> like, yeah, you just have to meet him where he is and get him to come home. Yeah, because he wasn't going to listen to reason. He wasn't going to be rational. I mean, it's kind of like when you're having an argument with your parents and like your parents don't operate in the same plane of existence as you do. <laughs> like, yep. So it's, it's kind of like that. You either like meet them where they're at and eventually come to an understanding or you simply like everybody speaks a different language and nobody yep. knows what's happening. <laughs> So Carrasco um, encounters Quixote. He's, Carrasco's all dressed up in like really fancy silken, like night gear, pretending to be a knight. And he's like, you know what? Like, you know that lady whose reputation you're fighting for? She is not so pure. And Quixote <laughs> is upset. He challenges um, Quixote to stand up for her honor. And he sets ground rules. He's like, Whoever loses has to do what the winner says. Very smart. <laughs> and so they decide to joust and Quixote wins. He knocks Carrasco off his horse, which I was not expecting. I, I know. Carrasco had fancy like armor and he had a fancy like red dress for his horse. Yeah. I don't know what it's really called. But he was like really set up and then Quixote just had like his jousting pole and a crappy shield. He yep. dominated. Which like, you know, Quixote's probably been practicing with like tree stumps and things like that. So Carrasco hasn't because this isn't a thing people do. So maybe <laughs> that's probably part of what it is. Like when you are operating in your own world under your own set of rules, like you are practicing to like encounter challenges and things in this world that you believe will be there. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting. Okay, now I'm suddenly understanding why people think this is such a great piece of literature. <laughs> 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 okay, moving on. <laughs> so um, Carrasco is like, damn it, like I'm gonna challenge him again. And this time it's personal, which, you know, always goes over well. <laughs> <laughs> so they duel again, and this time Quixote is knocked down, and Carrasco says, like, you know what, like, I need you to go home, like, you lost, you have to go home, and Quixote is like, okay, fine, I'll go home, but if you promise that my lady Dulcinea's reputation is upheld, I will go home, um, otherwise kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he's like I would rather die than to uh, like allow somebody to say she is impure that was a little wild <laughs> this isn't even a real person <laughs> she's real to Don Quixote that's true it's true it's true it was a little wild <laughs> so Quixote is like okay fine <laughs> and and Carrasco's like okay fine <laughs> and Quixote goes home that's all over. 
I know, and I like, I don't know if this is how the book ends, but I liked how at the end of the episode, um, it's kind of uh, Sancho and um, Quixote walking off into the sunset, uh, thinking about becoming shepherds. It was so cute. Yeah. There was, like, just talking about how life would be as shepherds, literally walking off into the sunset. Oh, I loved it. It's very cute. And that's kind of it. And I mean, it's Wishbone, so we know like they only take portions of the story. And a lot of the adaptations of Quixote are also like they only take um, portions of the story. The like brief skim that I took over the Wikipedia, over all the pieces of the story, is there's simply a lot of like adventures that happen. A lot of things happen um, that just don't <laughs> happen in Wishbone. Um, but I, I liked it. I mean, I liked the story. I like it. It gives you a taste of what the, what the story is famous for, like the rest of the stories that Wishbone talks about. Like you, you do know the windmills. That's what Wish, that's what Quixote is really well known for, for being like really headstrong and single-minded, but committed. Um, that's, you know, what he's named for. Sancho is kind of like what he's named for. Um, so I thought like it's a good, if this is all you know about Quixote, then it's good foundational knowledge of Quixote for like encountering Quixote in pop culture, other pieces of work, I think. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was, the story made a lot of sense. Sometimes I think in the Wishbone um, episodes when they like split up the story like that, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, like it makes a little bit less sense when you're retelling it, but this story like flowed really well. I thought they did a really good job of kind of summarizing the story for us. I guess I've never read the book, so I don't know, maybe they left out important points, but I thought it was a good summary. Yeah, and I do agree that it was, it did feel seamless, like the storytelling did, even though like it was vignettes and that's how the book is kind of. Um, unlike at the very beginning when we talked about Mark Twain and um, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, like that felt very like discreet vignettes of like what was happening. And this felt like the story of this man and how he, how he came to be and why he started on these adventures and some of the adventures and then why he had to stop the adventures. <laughs> they did a good job. But I, yeah, I think this is a good episode. I think um, I didn't look at the timelines. There's actually a chance they actually spent more time on the Don Quixote stuff than they did on the Wishbone stuff since that really was only in like two locations and like two or three scenes um but i thought it was a good episode i liked it yeah i did too probably one of the episodes where i liked the book retelling more and maybe maybe i didn't feel that way as a kid but like i i liked the book retelling here i was like engaged in the story i knew a little bit about the story right so i wanted to know more um and while we were talking about it, I was like, okay, how do I connect this to like, you know, our lived experience or other pieces of literature that we know? Yeah, I, I liked the book portion a lot too. And sometimes I'm kind of like, okay, okay, like no one cares. We just want to see Wishbone and Joe. But at this episode, I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, any other thoughts on the episodes or do you have any Wishbone's digressions you wanted to chit chat about? I didn't have any of his digressions. His costume, very cute, always. He had a little feather in his cap. <laughs> yeah, it was so cute. There was one point where he was, like, scratching his ear, and they, like, wrote it into the story, and I thought that was really funny, because they, like, I don't know, they, they like, made the actor say something like, oh, 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 okay, now I'm ready to talk, or something like that. It was really funny. And I was like, I wonder if they made him scratch his ear, or if he just did it and then they wrote it in. But either way, I liked it. That's the thing about this show, like you don't know. So one thing that I wanted to comment on definitely had to have been written in. I like there's a point after um, Don Quixote has been hit by the windmill. He's like, oh no, like I can't get up, I'm hurt. And Sancho Wishbone is like, oh, you don't need to stand up. You can just walk this way, like how you are on all fours. <laughs> so Wishbone walks backwards and Don Quixote like crawls forward. <laughs> 
but you're right like especially with shows like this it's not an animated show so like in an animated show it's very intentional if they were gonna have him scratch his ear or something but it, it's very it's easier for them to like have the voice actor pretend to scratch his ear <laughs> yeah <laughs> then try to get a dog not to do it probably way easier yeah exactly so funny that's cute all right we gotta talk fashion we got to talk fashion oh boy <laughs> Tell me all your notes. Um, I didn't take I really any. took a lot of notes on one specific outfit that Sam was wearing. <laughs> so the first time we see Sam in, um, when Joe's practicing for the contest, not like on the final actual day, Sam is wearing a backwards white baseball cap. Her hair is down, so she's got this like, you know, thick blonde hair. She has this oversized like baseball jacket, it looks like, that goes up like halfway down her thighs. White tee underneath, knee length jean shorts, kind of wide legged, and then black leggings underneath the jean shorts. And then- I missed this outfit entirely. So wild. And then, uh, I don't know what shoes she's wearing at that point, but the second time we see her in the basketball court, she's wearing these like, they almost look like Timberlands, but I didn't like zoom in well enough to check. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> what they, you like love, <laughs> they love to emphasize her being a tomboy to like the nth degree. Yes, which I like. And like Robin, like the other young woman in this scene, just looks like she's dressed like a 90s kid. But yeah. she's really like good at basketball and like a friend of Joe's because of her basketball skills. So like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, Sam. But yeah, other than that, and Damont's like very 90s, like Lee pipes or Jinko jeans and like plaid shirt, like buttoned up. It was real good. <laughs> Why the jeans are just like the most impractical pants? <laughs> it's like so silly. So but silly. I loved them. I love them. I was so jealous of everyone who had lead pipes. I desperately wanted lead pipes or like wide leg jeans. I think I had one pair of wide leg jeans and they were so wide. <laughs> <laughs> I was like so excited that I had them, but I was- You know, the problem with wide leg pants really was besides the fact that your pants would get very wet when it rained, um, <laughs> was that as soon as you got too tall, and of course we were in middle school, so everyone's growing when they're wearing these, as soon as you got too tall, like just like you grew like half an inch, your pants were too short, and in a way that was very obvious. <laughs> it's yeah. a very impractical pair of pants to put on children. Yeah, that's so true. Meanwhile, like because fashion is cyclical and like 90s fashion is back, um, like wide leg pants have been over the last couple of years, especially for like people who are femme presenting, like wide leg pants have been very in. And for me, like um, my legs are long, but they're also like scrawny. So I feel like they don't look good on me. I think they look good on literally everybody else. Like if your legs are not long and scrawny, I think they look good on you. Like every other shape, every other size, every other inseam length, I think they look good. And I'm like very jealous of any, I think literally everybody could pull them off except for me. And I think it's just like, I have weird proportions. Like I have a short torso, like, you know, in your head, you have all these ideas of what looks good. Yeah. At um so right now my mom doesn't like to wear wide leg pants because she's pretty short oh yeah interesting but I think that that's like I don't know I actually don't know if I've ever seen her wear wide leg pants but like like I'm 5'10 so I wear that I, I don't have any currently but I, I used to have several pairs of them and I always thought they looked good they're like yeah you look tall and they're like kind of dressy and nice and whatever and yeah, like I, wide leg, like I think they look great on people. And like a cropped wide leg was very hip for mm -hmm. a lot for the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I'm just jealous of everyone. And I guess <laughs> I could probably pull them off myself, but I just don't like how they look on me. So the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's like, those are really the two episodes that are the 
two outfits that caught my eye in the episode. Ellen was just in classic Ellen fashion and Wanda had this collared shirt that had like birds embroidered on it, I noticed. Oh, classic Wanda. Yeah, because she does work with the Audubon Society. <laughs> so I remember that. <laughs> did you catch any I, other outfits? I didn't. I thought that it was all just very classic 90s apparel. I missed that Sam outfit. I'm going to have to go back and look at it. Okay, I looked up this episode on IMDb. A couple of the people have been in quite a few Wishbone episodes. Um, the woman who played the niece has acted a little since then and currently, but nobody else really stuck out. For some reason, this struck me as an episode as like all the people in this episode felt like they could be real actors. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I really thought that we were going to encounter more of these actors out in the world after Wishbone, but it seems like a lot of them were just Wishbone-specific people. And I wonder if, like, um, because they filmed outside Dallas and not, like, L.A. or somewhere, and there just simply isn't that much, you know, happening there, um, Hollywood-wise. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of it, too. Yeah, they may all just be local actors from the Dallas area. That's a very good point. Yeah. And they could be like theater people too. Like right. they're very involved in theater. Yeah. So interesting. Um, actually, I looked up the guy who played Don Quixote and he was in kind of a lot of stuff starting in like 1979. So oh, wow. <laughs> he was really involved. He was on the TV show Dallas for a while too. <laughs> so yeah, he's right. like a 90s actor dallas base actor <laughs> cool good for him good for him he was a good actor that's true yeah so what did you have any key takeaways from this episode it sounded like we both kind of liked it yeah i thought that um ellen's idea of you don't have to do the impossible to be extraordinary and to kind of like take joy in your everyday life. Um, I thought it was a really good lesson. I think it's very good in quarantine times, especially to like think about that a little bit more. Um, but I also think that there's this pressure to um, like do something remarkable with your life. And sometimes things that like are undervalued by society are really what's important. Like um, I think like, I, I think of like stay at home parents, for example, like are not given a lot of credit, but like raising a human and setting out, like send, sending them out into the world as good people is a remarkable accomplishment and it should be treated as such. And it's just as remarkable as a lot of other things. Um, and so I think like that idea of like, just by being himself, Joe is enough. He is, he is doing amazing things is really important to remember. I like that a lot. I think I, that resonates with me a lot. I think the types of work that our society puts a lot of financial value on isn't necessarily the type of work that our community would put a lot of value on. And, you know, that could be us being kind of victims of our modern version of capitalism that we live in. Um, maybe things weren't like this in other countries right now or in other uh, communities, you know, a century or two ago. But I think that's a really good point. I think there's also a huge pressure for um, people in their 20s to figure out their personal lives, their social lives, their romantic lives, their professional lives, um, do something extraordinary, found a company, like become a TikTok influencer, like do all these things before you turn 30. And I think that's just mind boggling to me because, you know, I had like four careers in my 20s and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think that's interesting to me and I think I can make my mark professionally and as a person going forward. But our society very much makes it seem like you have to do all this stuff in your 20s. And I think our like TV does that too. Like a lot of our TV shows show like people in their 20s or finding love or finding professional success. And I watch like Korean shows and British shows and stuff like that. And 
Korean shows, especially, there's a lot of shows with people in their 30s and 40s, like um, finally like figuring themselves, their identity out and their professional lives and their romantic lives and things like that. And whether or not that like portrays their actual society, I can't comment on that, but um, I don't think we see that as much here. Like we don't see people in Hollywood in movies and stuff like saying like, oh yeah, you know, in your 30s and 40s, yeah, you are still figuring out who you are and how you want to approach the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of someone being 30 or 40 and unmarried and just like kind of still putting their, you know, their feet in front of them or getting themselves, getting their feet under them actually is what I meant to say, um, is like, it's like a, it's like a gimmick or something. It's like not, I don't know. It made me think of like the 40 year old virgin. It's <laughs> like, uh, that movie is like, a, like, oh my God, how could you make it to 40 and never have sex? Like that, as if that's some sort of marker for how successful you are in your life or like, you know, a 40 year old who still hasn't settled on a career or, you know, all of those things that are like markers of importance apparently. Yeah, and I think it's nice to see more people in Hollywood lately who've been kind of coming into their own or coming into their career for whatever reason later in life, like Ava DuVernay, Matthew Cherry, like there's some like really good high profile examples of people, even like Reese Witherspoon, like what she's doing now is so different than what she was doing 20 years ago when we were kids. Yeah. Like, she's producing works intentionally and collaborating and things like that. And I think like um, seeing things like that, seeing people like do things like that and making choices like that is good. Um, but also it kind of goes back to like the gatekeepers conversation and like the conversation of like, if you are, let's say you are a stay at home mom or a single mom, like in your twenties or thirties, like the age that we are, why doesn't society let you figure out who you are in your forties? Like, why is yeah. that, why is that unheard of or not supported? Like why, why isn't that that common? Why is it like a Twitter viral video when like a 40 year old goes to law school, like that should be more common. Our society should like celebrate that. Yeah, I agree. I feel like you should be allowed to kind of take your life at your own pace and in, in whatever order of operations that you want and it shouldn't be such a big deal, but it really is, unfortunately. So allowing, I mean, just Ellen reminding Joe that you're allowed to write your own story is really important. Yeah, I like that. And her reminding Joe that you're not in competition with anyone else. Like you're really um, figuring out what your own values are and um, working with within and with your community. So I like that. Thank you, Jillian. Great, great conversation today. I'm really enjoying <laughs> talking about this episode with you. Um, did you have any recommendations for our listeners this week? Um, yes, my recommendation this week is um, related to Off Mic, Sean and I were talking about how you can't go to Goodwill right now because of the pandemic. It's just, well, you can, but I'm But you want to touch to everything. That's why yeah. I'm not going to Goodwill. I want to touch everything. <laughs> right. I mean, you can, and if you're brave, you should do it because we should try to live our lives as much as we can, but I'm a nervous person, so I'm not going. And one of my favorite, like, weekend activities is to go antiquing. I really love to, like, touch tchotchkes <laughs> and, like, look at other people's crap. <laughs> and I haven't been able to do that for a very long time, and it has been very sad. But I remembered how, when I first started antiquing, I also used to shop for antiques on Etsy. And it's actually a really good place to buy antique stuff if you're willing to kind of like take the risk and um, like buy it sight unseen. And it's especially good if you like to buy stuff that is like place specific because the prices are going to be much more affordable than if you were to say like try to buy a map of Wisconsin. An antique map of Wisconsin in Wisconsin is going to cost you like five times what it would cost you if you just bought it online from somebody who lives in another state. This is a hot tip for people. So I just recently ordered a vintage um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin pennant, pennant like a like souvenir pennant, um, and it was like 20 bucks, but if I had seen it in an antique store in Milwaukee, it would have been like 60, 
So if you're looking for some vintage shopping, highly recommend Etsy as a place to just kind of like, even just do some window shopping and browsing of people's old junk. It's comforting. That's such an awesome recommendation. I love that. And I never would have thought about the fact that, yeah, like a Milwaukee thing, not in Milwaukee is going to have lower value. Like that's basic <laughs> supply and demand. Like that's yeah, basic. it's very funny. <laughs> that's so cool. Good work. <laughs> Good find. I'm so excited for your new pendant. Thank you. <laughs> My recommendation is cutting up fruit. I know that's <laughs> so weird, but I like am such a big believer in cut fruit. I eat cut fruit with every meal. Something about cutting it up, even though it takes like that extra minute or two, it I get so much more joy out of the fruit. <laughs> I for me it's like part of the eating experience. And um I, where I live now, I have like a garden that I can sit in to eat my meals and I eat almost all my meals in that garden. I just sit there and eat my cut fruit and like stare at the bumblebees and the like black eyed Susans. <laughs> it's just so, so adorable. And I know it's very, it's very quaint. Um, but it, to me, it's like, yeah, just cutting up fruit. There's something about cutting up fruit. And right now where we live, it's summer. So there's a lot more like fresh fruit available, even though it's, you know, being shipped to where we live. Um, but yeah, there's just something about cutting up fruit that adds a little extra special something to me. So that's my recommendation. That's great. You know, I actually, I find cutting a watermelon or like a cantaloupe or something, I find it very therapeutic because it's just like, very methodical. I cut it the same way every time. And I don't cut it the same way I was taught to cut a watermelon. But like, I don't know, I like I have my own technique on it. And I just like, lop through it. I don't know, it is very, it's, it's a, that's a good recommendation. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Like, and there's, there's also like a real sense of accomplishment. And even though the true end game is you're going to eat the fruit, you won't be able to see it. Um, yeah, but there is a sense of accomplishment after cutting it. And it is meditative, like you said, and then you get to enjoy the fruit. Yeah. Also, to be honest, I usually have a watermelon on my counter for like three days and I'm just like moving it around as I'm like trying to cook. And then I finally cut it and it's off my counter. And that is a great sense of accomplishment. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Well, thank you, Jillian. This, like I said, this is a really fun one to talk about and delve into. And I'm, I'm more curious about Don Quixote now as a reader um, because of this episode. Yeah, it was a great episode. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.